Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast where we bring the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis on all the topics you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarvey and with me as always is Duncan Castles and in a week which has been dominated by Portuguese man of football, we're pleased to say we have the other most famous Portuguese man of football on the podcast with us today, the wonderful doyen of football, Sergio Cucinas. Sergio, welcome back to the transfer window. Thanks a lot for your words, Ian. It's really nice to feel that warmth and love from you guys. We we, we we love you very much. We're just sorry we kind of, uh, the last time you were on, that we kind of divulged your other secret identity as, of course, the assistant director of the CIA. Um, <laughs> we're, we're hoping you've got that Mercedes engine. Has it, has it arrived yet? Yeah, yeah. The Mercedes, it's it's uh, still working, though it has a Renault engine. But Oh, it's still the Renault engine. Oh, we'll have to yeah, have that. We'll get that sorted that. for you. We'll get that sorted. Let's have words with uh, Jose. I'm sure he's got some contacts there. So, Sergio, um, Big, big week for Jose Mourinho, obviously the other most famous man in Portuguese football. Um, what has been made of his return to football and specifically, obviously, taking charge of his third? And I believe he is the first coach to ever coach three of England's big six clubs in his career. Um, must be must have been quite exciting uh, in Portugal as it was here. It was, yes. Um, I, I can tell you that um, most we have three sports newspapers and the uh, um, every day, the big, biggest stories are about uh, Befica and Sporting and Porto. Um, but this week, uh, there were front pages with with uh, Jose Mourinho being signing for Tottenham. And uh, uh, in the website, I saw the the, um, the numbers from my website, uh, trackor.pt, and uh, the most read stories uh, during this uh, the last days were were Mourinho at Tottenham, his press conference. Well, together with uh, Jorge Jesus playing the, um, the Libertadores final for Flamengo against River Plate, uh, which is going to happen tomorrow. Um, so, but it's a massive story. Lots of people want to know about it. Um, and yeah, it's not really nice to see him back to business. And uh, Sergio, you have some interesting information regarding uh, Mourinho's first training session at, uh, at Tottenham Hotspur and, and what he said to his players because clearly uh, one of his greatest skills is, is as a communicator and a man manager so I, I suspect uh, he himself very much was aware of the impression he needed to make on his players in their first meeting Yeah uh, what, um, what we found out was that uh, the first meeting with the players he, he tried to make an impact a psychological impact with the players he he shown them the table, uh, showing uh, Tottenham at 14th, and he told them, this is not you, this is not your place. Um, he promised that uh, he would be fr- a friend, uh, a partner, a girlfriend for them, for the players if they want, in the sense of um, showing all, all the support to the players. And he had some private co- conversations with a few players uh, that he sees like, like the leaders of the dressing room. Um, amongst them, Harry Kane, Lloris, um, Winks, uh, um, the players that he feels that are, are um, older viral as well, uh, the players that he feels that are kind of leaders in the in the group, um, trying to um, trying to put some some uh, confidence back uh, to them and trying to show them 
that things can be different for them this season. Um, I think I think that's um, very Mourinho. Um, uh, but I got a feeling, especially from his press conference, that uh, he's a bit different from. He's less, uh, I would say, less um, aggressive, maybe, um, more tolerant could be that word. Um, but he, he tried to make an impact uh, on, the, on the players' minds, and I think, um, of course, the results are going to to say if it worked or not. But I think the impression the players got was really, really good with his first day. We'll come back to that um, very soon, Sergio, regards to because uh, it's something which a lot of people picked up on um, with regard to Mourinho's demeanour, his, uh, his different uh, attitude in that very long, I think it was over 40-minute uh, televised, televised press conference and then there were separate sections for written press afterwards. But I just want to go to Duncan first because, Duncan, you got some news regarding um, just correcting some misreporting on Mourinho's salary at Tottenham as well as... Uh, uh, another blow in a in a week of blows for uh, Real Madrid. Yes, um, I've got the details of of Mourinho's salary at Tottenham, and I, I'm told that that is eight million euros net he's being paid by Tottenham, which is an increase on the salary they were play, paying Maurizio Pochettino, but not as much as has been reported um, in the English press as the new salary. Significantly, it's a pay cut on what he was earning, a significant pay cut on what he was earning at um, Manchester United, and also uh, uh, less money than he would have got had he gone through with an informal agreement he'd made with Florentino Perez to replace Zinedine Zidane at Real Madrid. And I think this is quite important here. Um, He has, has ruffled feathers in Madrid by deciding to take the Tottenham job. Um, and uh, people in Madrid feel that they've been let down by him. Um, they also feel that he might have used Madrid um, to obtain that uh, job at Tottenham. Um, and I think a lot of work has been going on, going on behind the scenes to uh, pacify Florentino Perez about this loss of an individual he had lined up to replace Zidane um, when he was able to sack uh, the Frenchman. I'm told that that was about to happen um, when Zidane was going to face Sevilla earlier in the season, but he then won that game and that um, that plus uh, um, uh, some other positive results and Barcelona's um, own poor form, uh, which allowed Madrid to stay up and around the top end of the Spanish table has, has forced Florentino to hold fire. Um, it resulted in Mourinho getting impatient and nervous and wondering whether the job would actually be, be presented to him and eventually um, taking on an offer which I, I'm told was first made to him or, or rather he was first approached by Tottenham two months ago. So the, the groundwork on this um, replacement of Pochettino with, with Mourinho has been going on for a considerable length of time with um, the Israeli agent Pini Zahavi representing Tottenham in those discussions um, and other clubs and other offers being presented to him um, in the process. I, th- I believe Borussia Dortmund, the president of whom he is very close to, also made an approach to Mourinho which he considered seriously. Um, but in the end, he took Tottenham and I think if you listen to that press conference, you will get a real sense of why he took Tottenham. Also, if you listen to our podcast from Wednesday where we detailed um, the reasons and his thinking there, there is this um, feeling from Mourinho that uh, it is a club of huge potential 
Um, he talked yesterday about the quality of the stadium, the quality of the training ground, which he said was um, the best in the world and on a par with with um, the best of the NFL training facilities. Um, he talked repeatedly about the quality of the squad. Um, he also talked about the quality of Pochettino's work and, and wanting to respect the base, respect the work that they'd done over the last five years and that he wouldn't radically alter the way the team was playing because he thinks the players are good and he thinks the football they were playing was good. He knows he can add um, details to it. I think one thing which, which will be very important is working on the defensive side particularly defensive transitions so that the switch when Tottenham are in possession to the other team having control of the ball, which is something he always identified as a weakness in Tottenham's play and something he targeted when he was an opposition coach. But um, he likes the squad a lot. And I think also interestingly, in contrast to the way he's gone into other clubs, while he's done a great deal of research and preparation, for taking this job and, and looked in detail at the squad. He's decided he wants to work on the training ground, work with the players face to face, get to know them before making any decisions on who should come in and um, whether any of the sh players should leave. And that's very different from the way he's come into other clubs. He's always had uh, a kind of preset plan coming into clubs. He'd do his homework, he'd do a huge amount of work, but he'd have a, a an idea of I need to add in this position, I need to remove in that position. And and one of the things he's reflected on while being out of work is maybe that there's there's a, a weakness in that approach in that he hasn't given players a full opportunity to demonstrate whether they were worthy of staying with them um, or whether uh, he thought he might think they were better than they actually were and whether they needed to be changed. So I think that's one of the many differences in Mourinho going into this job. And it's going to be fascinating to see um, how this sort of period of reflection, um, this analysis of the way he manages, um, coming into a club with, a, with which he, what he feels is an improved approach, how it, how it works in practice, and, and whether he can stick to it once um, you know, the road bumps come along the way, as they always do at any football club. Sergio, are we seeing the empathetic one? <laughs> that could... Uh... The humble one, no? He <laughs> said that he was humble, no. Well, one of the key phrases, Sergio, sorry, just to interrupt, one of the key phrases that was picked up on was, he said he knows that he's made mistakes in past jobs and he will yeah. not make those mistakes again. He will make new mistakes, he said. Yeah, that. as well, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, one of the things that uh, I found a bit different from Mourinho's um, other press conferences was the ability of laugh about himself and the... Uh, the things from the past, even when when he was uh, confronted with the fact that he said he would never uh, manage Tottenham, he, then he said, "Yeah, but that was before I, I was sacked from Chelsea." I mean, he, he was always also joking with with the things he said in the past. Uh, he tried to make a, uh, from my perspective, he tried to to make a clear and good atmosphere as well, um, probably to have the fans on his side as well. Um, and I really think it worked in the sense, uh, I don't know the impression the, the general fans of Tottenham had, but I think uh, um, the, those little touches of humor and uh, were, were good for Mourinho. And also the way he, he praised the, the squad, the, also Pochettino job. I think it was really important for him to to give all the compliments to, to what Pochettino did in the last five years, because, of course, he's... Uh, 
he will always be an idol for the Tottenham fans. I, I assume that the players love Pochettino a lot as well. Um, it was very smart from Mourinho and um, I, I agree with Duncan. I think the, the time he spent off uh, helped him probably to get another perspective um, because he, he was, uh, I think he was expecting to start the season working and nothing um, uh, that uh, would suit him uh, came up. So, uh, in the end, Mourinho is, um, it could be more fragile now, but I don't, I, I don't see him more fragile. I think he's, he's, uh, uh, has a different approach because he understood that's probably the best approach now. He, he doesn't have to be the, the um, arrogant Mourinho, at least the arrogant uh, persona that they created when he first landed in, in England uh, in 2004. It's interesting you say that, Sergio, because I've spoken to many, many players over the years at all of Mourinho's clubs. And one of the key uh, elements which came across always was his aura that, you know, he was one of those uh, special people who changed the atmosphere of a room the, the moment he walked in. And in a dressing room, that's very important because it's like Cristiano Ronaldo walking into the dressing room, you know, or Leo Messi. Mourinho had that aura as well. But allowing players, allowing the media, allowing the public to see a more human Jose Mourinho. There's an element of risk there as well, I think, is there not? In terms of, you know, he, to be someone different, you have to you have to go all the way. You can't just do it in a, in a half measure. Yeah, I, I can see what you mean. But I, I truly believe that this is closer to the real Mourinho than what we saw before. In the sense that um, I, ho- I always had that, that feeling and the times I, I had some contact with him, I always had that feeling that he was uh, creating a persona uh, in the sense that he he thought that the best way to to protect his team, his players, was to be the the mean guy, that the guy that was always ready for war um, with the the previous manager of that club, with the, with the, the other managers, uh, with some players as well in the dressing room. Um, but I always thought uh, as a part of a strategy for himself to... Um, to get the players and the, the um, and especially to get the team uh, as a whole uh, to be on his side and to uh, get the results he wanted. Um, I honestly think that this is closer, probably closer to the real Mourinho in the sense that he's a guy with a good humor that uh, laughs about himself uh, and uh, he knows that he's not uh, he's not God, uh, though though people. Some people uh, saw him as God. Yeah, it's true. He sat next to God in, uh, the, at the bench yeah. at FC Porto, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Pope. Not, not, not God, the Pope. The Pope. <laughs> he, he was God. He was God. And then he had the Pope next to him. <laughs> yeah. God, God's priest on earth, I think, is his, his other uh, nom de plume. Yeah. The, but yeah, for people to understand, the nickname that we give in Portugal to the president of Porto is the Pope because he's been over there since um, 1982, I think. So he's like uh, the oldest uh, guy in Portuguese football and he's uh, really powerful. And of course, he has won so many things with Porto. So that's why he's nicknamed the Pope. That warmth and sense of humour, the charisma as well. Um, It will be interesting to see how that impacts the Tottenham players who have been used to that with Pochettino, who remember, you know, a lot of players said you've been, you know, a friend. You've been like a father to me. 
it's interesting Mourinho's trying to sort of almost fill that void. Yeah, and Mourinho is saying he, he wants to be their girlfriend as well. So <laughs> he told him in, in the dressing room. So he, he's trying to do to get that approach, uh, trying to be a part of them, um, uh, the father figure probably that Pochettino was as well. Yeah, I, I, look, he's he's a very charismatic individual. You see that from his public persona. He, that that's why there were so many people at the press conference. That's why you know Sergio's newspapers most read. Um, articles this week are about Mourinho but, but he has that in his and I think Sergio's right when in a private situation you see more of the humour and the self-deprecation and um, the alternative ways that he gets people on side and you know there's endless stories about that and generally in football I think generally in football the people that know him um like him as an individual he's quite different their perspective of him is quite different from that public general public image of the you know the destroyer the um the guy who's always complaining um who throws his toys out of his pram etc 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 i think but there's another side to the changes here on a technical level which i think are also very important for what happens at tottenham in that um Mourinho's appointed two new coaches to his coaching staff, taking both of them from uh, Lille in France at very short notice. In fact, the uh, the Lille coach, Christophe Gaultier, um, in his press conference yesterday, very explicitly complained about the way in which Mourinho had, uh, had taken these two coaches, his goalkeeping coach, Nuno Santos, and more importantly, his assistant coach, Jean Sacramento, um, and that he'd only heard about it on Tuesday. Um, and the, basically the club was left with no choice because both wanted to go and, and you couldn't hold player, hold individuals of that importance to a team against their will. But Sacramento is, in a sense, a, a return to the, the kind of coaching team that Mourinho had for the, the duration of his career with Rui Faria. He's in, by no means as, as experienced as Faria. He's only 30. Um, he's only been working as a coach since uh, 2017 when the um, sports director at Leo Luis Campos, who's a close friend of Mourinho, um, appointed uh, Sacramento after the suspension and subsequent dismissal of Marcelo Bielsa as coach. So that was his first experience leading um, a team and and being the lead figure on the training ground. Did pretty well, had a good result against Lyon, won two um, and lost three of his, his league matches with a team that was struggling under um, Bielsa's leadership and it was in, in real turmoil. But um, Sacramento um, is similar to Faria in that he, he came and through an academic approach, studying in university, studying coaching in university, then going to Wales to further his education there. Speaks English very well from his time in Wales, also understands the culture well. Talking to people who, who know him, they say he's extremely talented and they see him as a as an important figure in coaching down the line. Whether that pans out to be the case or not, we'll see. But what is important is he uses the tactical periodization methodology that um, Rui Faria developed and, and perfected um, while working with Mourinho. And Mourinho moved away from that 
that uh, that training methodology when Faria resigned his position at Manchester United. He hired an Italian fitness coach, um, Stefano Rapetti, um, who used Italian methods which um, do not always involve working on the ball. Lots of uh, physical work not involving the ball, lots of additional physical work for the players. Very different approach to Faria's. And we saw um, the difference in Manchester United when they changed that uh, physical approach in Mourinho's last season. Obviously, there are lots of other elements um, to losing Faria. Faria was an important figure in the dressing room, very um, experienced, intelligent, a good tactical brain, someone who would um, would resist Mourinho, would, would question his decisions. And I think there was a kind of productive tension between the two. Uh, and you, you've seen Faria go and be a manager his own right in Qatar. He's top of the Qatari league at the moment, just been named uh, manager of the last two months. Um, won his first trophy. So he, you can see his credentials as a manager and what he's done since leaving. But I think this return to the tactical periodization method, picking up a, a young, talented coach that's, that a friend of his has recommended to him, is very promising for, for Tottenham. Um, and, and it's obviously a, a, another product of Mourinho reflecting on what went wrong at Manchester United. And I know he spent a lot of time after he lost that job contacting people and asking them what had gone wrong in the third season um, and getting their feedback and then analysing that, as he said in the press conference yesterday. So that, that I think, is important and, and will be... Um, an element of this change and uh, an element of what we see with Mourinho in charge of what is clearly a much better squad than the one he had he inherited at Manchester United and the one that Manchester United have now. Now, we already um, spoke about Mourinho uh, doing something different than he's done at other clubs uh, in terms of the playing staff, apart from offering to be their girlfriend. Uh, he has uh, told them that he, he wants to work with them uh, make sure that everyone has a clean slate and the opportunity to prove themselves as not just a present but a future Tottenham Hotspur player. That doesn't mean to say that it's a squad which doesn't need some tweaking, Sergio. And you have some news on um, Portuguese player Ruben Dias, uh, who Mourinho may be interested in taking to White Hart Lane. Well, um, Ruben Dias is probably one of the hottest uh, young uh, centre-backs in Europe. He's 22 and he's uh, starting for Portugal as well and has already more than 100 games for Benfica. Um, uh, playing every game in a season, mostly he doesn't, doesn't rest. He, last season he played 60 games, uh, nearly that. Um, he's one of the guys that I, I can imagine all the top teams who have money are looking to. Uh, Benfica want, want to keep him. He's one of the players... Uh, and in Benfica, they see him as um, the core of the team for the next 10, 10 years. They see him as the leader that they can they can build the team around in the next 10 years. Benfica are trying to, um, to give uh, a step uh, ahead in Europe. Uh, this season, things are not going really well, but the, the, the plan is to, uh, since they are already dominating the Portuguese football, they, they want to, to be better in Europe. And uh, Ruben Dias is seen as a key a key player for them. Uh, right now, they are close to to agree a new deal. Um, it may happen in the next weeks. Um, the Ruben Dias will be with a with a salary close to two million euros net per season, which is a lot of money for a Portuguese team. 
and especially it's a lot of money for a a player, a 22-year-old player who, who came from the youth uh, ranks of of, uh, of a club. And uh, if Benfica gives them the, this uh, salary, you'll have a huge buyout clause. It will be more difficult to, for for um, another club to come and take him. Um, right now, his buyout is 66 million euros, which is basically 60 plus the 6 million euros for the commission for the agent. Um, and it's uh, not that expensive. I mean, I, I could easily see Ben City, Man United, uh, even Tottenham come with 60 million euros and, and get get a player like him. Um, Benfica wants to increase the buyout uh, at least to 88. Um, and the fact that he's represented by Jorge Mendes, who has been... Um, a partner for Befica, and Befica has already said that word. He's a partner of us. Um, I think it makes it. Uh, I don't. I, I don't think George Mendes will uh, start a war with, with Befica or or a fight with Befica to take Ruben Dias out. In the sense that uh, if Befica's will is really to keep Ruben Dias, I think that Mendes will try to respect that. Um, that's that's only my opinion. I don't have any information on this specifically. Uh, the information for sure is that Befica is the Befica's plan is to keep Ruben Dias for for the rest of his career and make him a bit uh, a new Luizão, a player who arrived in 2000, 2003 to Benfica from Brazil and stayed until 2017 or 18. Um, so it's to have him a team captain and a true leader for the next years. Sergio, we, we reported on the on the podcast some months ago that um, Manchester City were very close to taking Gias in the summer. They were had they were ready to pay the buyout at that point. There was a period in which um, his representatives felt that that deal was going to go through, and the reason it didn't was because City wanted to raise money from the sale of uh, Nikola Otamendi, who Monaco were prepared to buy, but overpriced him. Um, I think they wanted 30, 35 million euros for Otamendi, and Monaco just said that was ridiculous, given his salary and age and abilities. So the, the deal fell through that way. Um, do you know what GS's position would be? Should Because we know Manchester City have to improve at centre-back. Um, they it would make a lot of sense for them to do so in the January window, given Guardiola's um, upset with his, his resources in that position. Do you know what Gias's position would be should City come in with that that scale of offer again um, for the player? Uh, that's that's hard. I mean, if 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 a team like Man City comes and changes a player's mind, things things could change. But I think he's, um, he's a kind of player that has always respected a lot um, the club, Benfica. He's, he, he's a symbol of Benfica. Uh, maybe he would probably ask for a, a way out, uh, an exit, but uh, the thing is he's willing to take the, the new contract, um, get which will get him probably the highest salary for a Portuguese player in Portuguese football, um, so um, I think I think if he, if he and I, I, I believe Benfica will try to do to sign the new contract before January, so that they will be safer. Um, and if he's, he takes the two million euros uh, net salary, I think he's saying he's telling Benfica that he's, he's, he wants to stay. Um, that will be if he accepts a new contract now. I think he, he has no reason at all to uh, ask for a, 
transfer in, in, in January. And as a player, um, you know him as a player, you watched him a, a huge amount at Benfica. Uh, if you were George Mendes and you were advising him on what was best for his career, would you say stay in Portugal and be the symbol of the club or move to Manchester City and take on a different league? That's that's uh, that's uh, the a question that uh, I think uh, uh, it will depend on the, the person who is answering. I don't know. Um, I think I think all the players, uh, if they have the chance of playing in a top team in England, I think probably they, they will take it, or they they would like to take it. Um, I think at some point Ruben Dias probably will miss that. He will he will want it. Um, he's 22 only, which is um, for a centre back is really young, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that when he's 28, he's still on time to to go to a top team in 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 Europe. Um, so I don't know. I, I think most players can't wait. Don't know how to wait. I think yeah. Ruben Dias is ready to wait. I would say three, four years, and then to see if if he has a chance of, of going out. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Meanwhile, if Benfica uh, tries to sell uh, uh, first uh, Ferro, with the the other central defender they have, uh, he's also 21, 22. And he's a very, very interesting player, very good. Not so rated as Ruben Dias because he hasn't played for the national team of Portugal. He had just one call and he was out of the, he was on the bench. Um, but he's uh, probably more skillful than Ruben Dias. Uh, probably, not, probably he's more skillful than Ruben Dias. He's uh, better with the ball, better passing the ball. Um, he's a bit like John Stones, uh, technically. Uh, very good, uh, uh, building up. Um, and he's the kind of player that I think would would easily, more easily suit uh, or catch the eye of a, a scout in the sense that he has these technical qualities that uh, all the all that new football loves. Um, he doesn't have the personality of Ruben Dias. He's not the leader as Ruben Dias. He's not aggressive as Ruben Dias. So he lacks that as well. Um, but I think scouts would would really like our like a lot and I know that scouts uh, when they see Benfica playing the just merely technically they they like uh, Ferro a lot do you do you think GS is ready for the Premier League and for a top club in the Premier League because I remember you telling me before Victor Lindelof moved to Manchester United that you had reservations about his um, his style of play and that he was error prone and I mean your prediction absolutely panned out in Lindelof's case. What would your prediction be for Diaz if he was to move now uh, to think, the Premier League? I, I think he, he, he would uh, he would be he, he, he could struggle but he has a strong mentality um, I think he would fit uh, anywhere. Uh, he, made, he made some mistakes last season like scoring some own goals and everything and every time he scores an own goal and it happened this season at uh, Zenit, the Champions League he's the one that uh, the first one to get up and pick the ball from the back of the net and say, let's go, move on. You know, he has this uh, winning mentality of not being uh, affected when things don't go, are not good for him. So uh, I, I think that's something that would really help him. Uh, this huge confidence would really help him playing in a top team. I think Duncan and Sergio, if we look at the prices paid for central defenders in the Premier League recently, Obviously, 75 million Van Dyke, 85 million for uh, Harry Maguire, 
Um, even John Stones three years ago, fifty million pounds at sixty-six million euros in his current buyout clause, Diash would be a bargain for any top Premier League club. And certainly, there is a need for central defender at Manchester City. Also, you could argue uh, would be the case for Tottenham with Alderweireld and Vertonghen both out of contract. Yeah, and I would say Man United as well, probably. Uh, I think Josie would say Man United as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I think sixty-six million euros is not uh, is not. Um, an impossible buyout clause. Uh, well, but I thought uh, 120 for João Felix was it was impossible, and it, it wasn't. <laughs> so. I think you. I think you said that on the podcast as well, Sergio. I think it was the only only thing we can pick you up on is, as uh, as as getting wrong in your predictions. Well, I I, <laughs> I still I still have my uh, reservations on that deal in the sense that. Uh, <laughs> It was a deal by, made by Atlético Madrid and Benfica. So it, it, these are clubs who have been working a lot in the last uh, 10 years. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe some football leaks in some years will tell us exactly what happened. Surely the assistant director of the CIA should already have that information. Well, uh, the director has the information, not the assistant director. <laughs> <laughs> You've not seen it yet, Sergio. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Well, it seems that Portuguese players are certainly um, the cream which is being uh, pulled from uh, Portugal, if you like, into other leagues, that's for sure. Two examples, uh, very good examples, of course, um, of recent, well, not so much recent transfers in Bernardo Silva's case, but Ronaldo, obviously, to Juventus. Uh, Bernardo Silva has been involved, Sergio, as you know, in some controversy regarding a, a tweet on social media um, and has since... Uh, been given a fine and a one-match ban for the inappropriateness of that regarding uh, racial context. Now, in this country, it's kind of divided people uh, because some people say, well, he and Mendy, who was the subject of the tweet, are good friends from the days in Monaco, and that um, obviously Bernardo Silva himself never thought twice about the idea that he might be offending anyone, uh, certainly not his friend and his teammate. Can you give us the view of what's been, what, how that story has been seen in Portugal with regards to, do people feel that uh, Bernardo has been ba as badly or at least um, harshly treated for what was a tweet to his friend? Yeah, uh, definitely. The, in, por in Portugal, people uh, opinions were not divided. People just, uh, most, I think everyone thought it was uh, uh, too harsh and probably lots of people thought it was ridiculous to, to punish uh, Bernardo for that. Um, in favor of, of Bernardo is the fact that not like Ronaldo, Ronaldo is of course the biggest uh, personality of Portugal now, right now and not, not only in sports, but he has a lot of haters as well, uh, as normal. And Bernardo Silva, no, Bernardo Silva doesn't have any haters. He, he's the kind of uh, uh, boy that all the, all the parents would love to have as a son, uh, all the grandmothers would love to have as a grandson. Uh, all the, all the all the uh, fathers would like to have as uh, the boyfriend of their daughters, you know? It's like... Uh, <laughs> Josie might even want to be his girlfriend as well. Well, well his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think. Uh, he's, he's the kind of guy that everybody, everybody loves in Portugal for um, everything. Uh, and so it was, uh, yeah, people, everyone was against it. It was, uh, they thought it was ridiculous because it was not making a racism. It, it was, 
it was just a joke with a with a with a good friend, as you said. Um, this week it was a bit uh, strange, but um, a right wing party in Portugal who has uh, uh, five seats in the um, parliament uh, submitted the motion in the parliament. Um, condemning the the ban to to Bernardo Silva. I mean, it, it just became a political issue as well. I think uh, we are clearly exaggerating on that. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I think it shows how how even some parties, uh, in this case, it was a right wing party, a conservative uh, party, not extreme wing, right wing. It was um, more a conservative uh, party. Um, they are trying to use uh, this this um, this uh, general indignation in Portugal, this general um, bad feeling about this, uh, uh, to to get to try to get to please uh, the, the voters. Um, yeah, so it was basically that. Uh, even Bernardo, when he was in the national team. Um, Fernando Santos, who is the head coach of Portugal, he said something like, "This is ridiculous." Um, Bernardo himself, when he was asked, he hinted something like, "It's not the time to talk. I'll I'll talk about this uh, someday." Hinting that he was going to say something probably when he leaves England or in in some time. So it was uh, for us. It was uh, almost um, um, let's say let, let let's not uh, exaggerate, but you were insulting Portugal by calling Bernardo Silva a racist. From from the the, the football um, perspective with Bernardo, we we saw last season how important he was to Manchester City. I mean, in my view, he was he deserved to uh, be named Player of the Season. I think I think I would have had him as Player of the Season in the Premier League, given his contribution to that team. Um, he's he's not been at this quite the same level this season. But for the national team, how important is he to to them now and to the Euro um, 2020 campaign coming up? Uh, actually, the last two games against uh, Lithuania and Luxembourg away, he was uh, simply outstanding, both of the games. Uh, uh, finally, because uh, he, he, we have Ronaldo, who is an amazing goal scorer, amazing machine. Uh, so we have to to adjust all the team to play with a player like Ronaldo that should be should not defend should be free to to score to have space uh, not commit with with defensive tasks so most of the times Bernardo Bernardo Silva and also Bruno Fernandes from Sporting they were playing in in um, they had to, a lot of defensive concerns um, like closing on the wings. This kind of things. In the last games, Bernardo Silva played in the center. Uh, I, uh, it was a very strange system. It was very hybrid, but he, he was playing as attacking midfielder, but with total, with all the freedom to be wherever he wanted. And he was outstanding against uh, Lithuania, and he was brilliant against Luxembourg. He made uh, an amazing pass uh, to the first goal uh, at Luxembourg, uh, Bruno Fernandes' goal. Um, so people, um, I think people right now are, uh, Ronaldo is untouchable, of course, but people right now, I think they are seeing, they are making a difference. Ronaldo is an amazing goal scorer, probably the best goal scorer in history of football. Um, Bernardo Silva may be our most influential player right now in, in the Portuguese national team. Um, okay, Ronaldo's goals make him the more influ influence, influential player uh, in, in practical terms. But in the way the team plays, 
the way he controls uh, all the attacking game, all the defensive game as well, the team. Bernardo Silva has been a crucial player for, for Portugal and he will be, I think, in the Euros. An early, an early candidate for player of the tournament at Euro 2020, <laughs> perhaps. Well, it, depends. it depends what Portugal does, of course. Um, Portugal will, will, is in pot three in the draw. Um, it's true that uh, most of the groups will qualify three teams for the last uh, 16. Um, it happened to Portugal actually three years ago, uh, but Portugal can have can have a tough group, and we don't know what's going to happen. And uh, Portugal has been quite good against strong teams, and they have failed against teams who are not. Uh, favorites in a game you know that they, they lost against ukraine and they were totally outplayed by ukraine uh in a game that portugal should uh, should have uh, dominated from the beginning and then they, they couldn't well they dominated but they were they were conceding a lot of counter-attacks and uh, and uh, ukraine deserved to win so it, it will be hard to tell how how good it will be the euros for portugal did you, did you say that Portugal, the, the holders, are in pot three for the draw for the, the tournament? Yeah, because the, the seeding is, is done by the, by the results in the, in the qualification. So the, it's, it was 10 groups. Uh, the, first, the best six got the, to pot one. The, four, uh, second, the, four, the, four, the other four were pot two, and the second best uh, second placed were in the pot two as well. Portugal was the third best ranked uh, second placed. I think you need I think I think you need Josie Mourinho to get involved with UEFA and, and sort that conspiracy against Portugal out before the tournament starts. We have we have uh, we have other guys who are involved with, with UEFA and they are taking care of that. Don't worry. Your boss the director being one of them I think Sergio <laughs> uh, well, I'm hoping I'm hoping a draw with uh, let's say uh, Ukraine and uh, Cyprus, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're not hoping for that. That's for sure. <laughs> not, not, not France, not France and, and Spain or France and Germany in the same group. No, it's not going to happen. Last time we had you on the podcast, Sergio, you you predicted that Cristiano Ronaldo would reach 100 goals, and uh, he's almost there. And you also predicted yeah, yes, that, that that he was going to break the international scoring record. So I, I've got two questions for you. I'd like a, a prediction on the date at which he would uh, he will break the international scoring record, and um, some information on on how he's been dealing with Maurizio Sarri in Juventus. Well, the first one, my prediction. I think it will not happen before the Euros. Uh, I think it will be after the Euros, because I they have just the um, games on on March friendly games on March. He will reach 100 goals by then. And I don't see him score eight or nine or ten goals in the Euros uh, or in the in the friendly games uh, before the tournament. So I would say September next year when they start the qualification for the um, the World Cup, maybe maybe that, that or the Nations League. I don't know if they they have Nations League in September. So that's my prediction: September or October next year. Uh, about him and Sarri, yeah. Uh, there was a guy in Portugal who wrote uh, an interesting piece. Um, saying something very simple, but uh, which may be true, that Ronaldo's problem, biggest problem right now is Messi, in the sense that he sees Messi uh, scoring free kicks like uh, penalties, uh, like scoring goals every free kick he takes. 
and things are not so good for him at Juventus in the sense that he's, uh, he hasn't scored. He, when was the last time he scored a goal from a free kick? Uh, I don't remember. And um, he's not scoring goals. Uh, he was replaced twice in the last two games for Juventus and the team won the game afterwards. Against AC Milan, it was with a goal from the player that replaced him. So, um, probably this, this uh, feeling of being mortal, of being human, is not, uh, is not, is making some damage to him in the sense that is uh, is is close to turn 35 he will be 35 in february i don't i don't see him finished as a finished player far from that i actually think that he will still have one or two seasons at his best at the top level uh, but uh, yeah things with sari are not happy and he, he, after the game with luxembourg he said yeah i wasn't happy for being replaced but he he said that he knows he's not okay he, he has some issues with his knee some pain on his knee and he said he made a sacrifice to play for Portugal and also to play for Juventus. Um, I'm I'm curious to see how the thing how this thing goes. I think Ronaldo is, is smart enough and is intelligent enough to not to start a war with the Juventus and with Sarri and with his teammates in November. Um, I don't think it will happen. I think he will he will understand that he, his reaction was not good and uh, he will be probably more focused than ever and he's um, that's how he reacts when when he's been under the critics you know is he he slaps uh, the critics face uh, with goals and uh, key exhibitions and that's what he does the the, I mean, the the feedback i'm getting from italy is that sari isn't doing a particularly good job with the team although the results have been reasonable um, there's not really a coherence to the play and they're not playing the kind of um, more attractive uh, Guardiola-esque football that they were looking for um, when they appointed Sarri. We, we know obviously that, that Juventus's ideal choice as coach would be Pep Guardiola and they've been trying to hire him for some time. He basically has an open invitation for when he moves to Italy that he should come to Juventus and, and recently Guardiola said on record that he sees himself coaching in Italy um, in the not too distant future, although he still has a contract with Manchester City. How how would you see a Guardiola, um, Cristiano Ronaldo coaching footballer team working? Because we, we know Guardiola doesn't particularly like players with um, strong personalities. Uh, he, he tends to work with younger players. He had issues with Messi towards the end of his time at uh, Barcelona when Messi became start was starting to become the powerful sort of um, more than a club figure that that he's be, he's become at Barcelona. How would you see that working? Um, were it to happen next season or the season after next? It will be funny to see. I think um, probably it could be Guardiola that, that would um, uh, if if. Guardiola with a 35-year-old Ronaldo. It, it, the age here is is a bit important. It's an important detail uh, um, because I, I can imagine uh, we since Ronaldo was 28, 29 when he started to score goals like a machine in in Madrid. Um, we see, we believe that Ronaldo will become a, 
a striker, a number nine um, uh, player who's just there to finish. And he's becoming that already, although not playing as, a, as Higuain in Juventus or Aguero. But maybe Guardiola could be the one to, to do that. Um, the way Guardiola's teams play, you don't have any, any player who is uh, on paper a winger who doesn't defend, who doesn't uh, react when they lose the ball. So the only way to see Ronaldo, I think, in my opinion, to play for a Guardiola team would be playing as a striker and not being too tired. Uh, although the strikers of Guardiola's teams also run a bit. Uh, but with Messi, he did that. He played him after he got rid of Ibrahimovic. He, he played him in a central position where he can, he can he doesn't have to chase the ball so much. And from a psychological perspective, do you think the two of them would mesh? Personality and psychology? I think so. I think so. They are both winners, you know, like in the sense of they are obsessed with winning. Guardiola is also obsessed with winning, although sometimes he pretends he's obsessed with playing good football. Nobody's obsessed with winning. <laughs> um, Ronaldo, Ronaldo is totally obsessed with winning and get, being the best uh, getting all the trophies, getting all the individual uh, recognitions. So I think, I think it, it, it could match because they are so driven on, on this will of winning all the time. So the same with Mourinho and Ronaldo. It, it also was really good in Madrid until the last season. It was, uh, the connection was really good. Well, this is Friday's transfer window. Uh, the addition is at the end of a week when Jose Mourinho returned to English football as boss of Tottenham Hotspur. We started the podcast at the top with, of course, Jose Mourinho. And we're going to finish on a Jose Mourinho theme as well. It's the legendary quickfire round. And this week, I'm going to ask the lads to tell me where they think Jose's Tottenham Hotspur will finish in the three competitions they are still competing in. We shall go from, let's just say, uh, in no particular order, but certainly starting with the FA Cup as the potentially least important. Um, Duncan, you first. Where will Tottenham finish in the FA Cup this season? Well, I'm sure that Mourinho will put a lot of emphasis on the FA Cup as the opportunity to be to put the you know that long run of not winning a trophy to bed at Tottenham. Um, remember interviewing him after his first season, just after his first season at Manchester United, and one of the things he he emphasised as being important to that first season was the ability after they'd won the League Cup and won uh, the Europa League to put new pictures up on the walls of the of the training ground at Manchester United of his current players with trophies, replacing some of the pictures or adding to the pictures that they saw of past Manchester United teams winning to give them a sense that they could do it and they could achieve and they were winning silverware. And, you know, you saw from that interview yesterday, he, he mentioned how the one thing that hasn't changed about him is that he all, he wants to win. And he will do everything to win. And uh, he would have a problem with a player if he doesn't have that same attitude. So that's his opportunity, his clearest opportunity to win a trophy there. If he wins a trophy there, he's immediately um, done something that Pochettino, for all his achievements in, in qualifying Tottenham for four Champions League in a row, has not done. 
and he's had he will have added that experience of winning to the players and once you've won your first trophy it becomes a lot easier to win other ones so I I think I'd be surprised if they don't reach the final I'm not sure if they're able to win it depends who they come up against but I'd be surprised if they don't get to the final of the FA Cup this year Sergio? I totally agree with Duncan and I put my money on on Mourinho winning the FA Cup Oh, very bold predictions, and you've got most of them right, uh, Sergio. So I'll certainly be putting my uh, pound each way on uh, Tottenham and the uh, FA Cup since you've tipped them. Uh, that's Sergio, the that's the that's the lowest value bet you've made this year, Ian, isn't it? <coughs> it'll certainly be the lowest winnings. Let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sergio, tell us where you think Tottenham will finish in the Premier League. Currently, fourteenth. Obviously, to make Champions League qualification, they have to hit top four. Is that possible? Yeah, it's possible, but uh, uh, also because I think they will be focused. Uh, I, I, I can imagine a season when they reach April and May, focused on winning the FA Cup. And I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think they will, they will not reach top four. I think they will be knocking the door at top four, fifth or sixth, around that. Duncan? I think I think this is, is similar to the answer Mourinho gave about winning the Premier League. I mean, he said he, he was asked whether they would win the Premier League next season. He said, I, um, "I'll say we can. We can't win the Premier League this year, but we can win the Premier League next year." I think it, that it's possible they do it, but they're starting with a big handicap because fourth place is Manchester City, and unless Guardiola and that team completely implode they're not going to end up in fourth place um, and they're going to put lots of points on the board. So forget about overhauling them and they're 11 points ahead. Then you've got Chelsea, Leicester City and and I guess this weekend will be important from the Chelsea perspective. Um, If Manchester City beat Chelsea and put an end to that long run and, and add those question marks that Mourinho himself raised when talking about Chelsea recently that um, have they worked out a way to play against the big teams yet um, into focus um, that might open a window for them but uh, to, to get to close a 12 point gap on both of those teams is, is, is tough so I think if you couple that with targeting FA Cup for a trophy and and I would expect in the Champions League he will be trying to win the Champions League because in some senses that's as good an opportunity to qualify for the Champions League next year, which is the ultimate target, as the Premier League is. You know, he knows that team got there last year, albeit with a lot of good fortune. Um, but he knows they've got the credentials and the, the quality of players to set up in an interesting and flexible way against most opponents. And he knows that providing the tactical solutions is something he's very good at himself. So... Um, I'm not saying they're going to win the Champions League, but I think there'll be a huge amount of focus on the Champions League. And if they get a draw, a good draw in that first knockout stage when they'll come up against um, one of the group winners, they could go quite deep in that one as well. Well, Duncan's already answered the third question, Sergio. It just leaves you to give us your view on where you think Tottenham and how far they might go in this season's Champions League. Uh, the fact that they will finish second in the group, it's, it's not a good help uh, because... Um, um, they have uh, good chances of getting a big, big team in the last uh, 16. Um, so I, 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 I think it's difficult for them to, to 
reach the final of Champions League. Uh, I would say, depending on the draw, I think that they will not go further than the quarterfinals. Interesting. Thank you very much, both of you, for keeping the quick fire round quick. Uh, all of our listeners out there, if you want to tell us your views on how you think. Uh, is he going to West Ham or Aston Villa? Come on. Finally, <laughs> Let's talk about that. Your, your favourite player, Sergio. How many, how many thousands of words have you written about Nico Gaetan down the years well, in Portuguese papers? A few, a few. It's true, a few. Sergio, is, is, he, is his contract up for renewal? Is that what you're telling us? He needs a new uh, well, contract. So we need to, maybe, we need to get maybe. him in that club. He's, he's a free agent. I think he finished his contract with Chicago Fire, so he's a free agent. He's 31. Actually, he could still be quite useful. Uh, in Portugal, lots of Mifika fans are on social media uh, asking Mifika to go for him. So, Well, I can tell you that on social media, there's not lots of Manchester United fans asking when they're going to sign him. <laughs> <laughs> although, although perhaps now is his best chance. Yeah, <laughs> to move to Manchester United. Yeah, people, not don't just tell us how you think Josie's going to do at Spurs. Tell us where you think Nico Gaetan's next club's going to be, and we can continue the Nico Gaetan ruse trademark transfer window. Yeah. We do love uh, to engage with you, as you know. So keep the debate going. Once you've listened to the podcast, uh, you can contact us at Transfer Podcast on Twitter. Uh, Duncan's at Duncan Castles and I am at Garbo SJ. Uh, if you like what you've heard, and we know not just thousands, but millions of you do, which is fantastic. And we thank you for that and all your support over the time we've been broadcasting. Please get onto iTunes, log on, give us a five star review. And of course, the community grows and so does the debate. That's all for Friday's podcast, but we will be back on the Monday and we shall see you through the transfer window. Then it just leaves me to say thank you once again to Assistant Director Krishanas for uh, his time and his generosity and indeed the jokes and the laughs. Thank you, Sergio. Uh, we hope to have you back thank soon. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. And to Duncan, of course, as well. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.